right, you are listening to the Credit Circle right here on Radio Brave. I'm your host, Travis Lemons, and joining me in studio, we have Lisa Ellen and Donna Copeland of Texas Art and Film and Dr. Donna's Movie Reviews. The Critic Circle is brought to you each and every week by Leonard Courtright of Allied Sighting and Windows. And of course, we have Bobby, the world's tallest producer, Duncan, switching and doing the editing so I can sound great on the air. <laughs> now, this is a very special episode, not like one of those very special television episodes where they have the music cue swell at the end when it comes to an important life lesson, but this is the 100th episode of the Critic Circle. Yay. And I'm all out of party hats and kazoos, but if I had them, oh, I would be uh, handing them out right now. Uh, on today's episode, we will be talking uh, the new releases, Tomb Raider, Love, Simon, as well as a uh, another special anniversary as A24 celebrates five years as a company in distributing movies. But uh, before we get into the first topic, I'm going to ask these two ladies if they know what UMBC is. No, they, I don't. They seem University sunk. of Maryland before Christian era. Oh, you are close. It oh, is really? a University of Maryland, hey. Baltimore <laughs> County. Hey. Uh-huh. All right. And the only reason why I bring that up is because UMBC did something that has never happened before. They were a number 16th seed in the NCAA men's basketball tournament, and they beat the number one seed, the University of Virginia. In that just wow. happened. That right? just happened. I just heard it on the news. And <laughs> it, it wasn't just like, you know, they inched across the finish line. Yeah. I mean, they totally <laughs> obliterated <laughs> Virginia, 74 to 54. And I bring that up is because, you know, Hollywood always loves a good underdog story. And the fact that oh, there's yeah. never been a 16th seed beat a number one seed, I mean, that has like a Hollywood movie it written does. all over You're it. I think just waiting. only like three episodes ago we were talking about real-life sports stories that needed to be made. So. Well, yeah, and that was, was the, because of that uh, the Winter Olympics and the U.S. women's uh, hockey team mm-hmm. winning gold. Mm-hmm. And we were thinking of uh, sports stories that have not been told in cinema like we have had in the past. But uh, I just thought I'd throw that out there. So, Hollywood, if you're listening, that is your next great sports movie right there. Quick. Nice. But the uh, same week that spectacular uh, moment happened, we lost one of the greats (laughs) in Stephen Hawking. And Lisa had thrown out the idea of doing a special, you know, in tribute to Stephen Hawking because of all the work he has done with physics and uh, cosmology especially how his work has influenced film along the way. And she had thrown out some uh, certain films that we're going to discuss. But I thought I would let the listening audience have a 90-second everything you need to know about black holes. From the outside, you can't tell what is inside a black hole. You can throw television sets, diamond rings, or even your worst enemies into a black hole, and all the black hole will remember is the total mass, and the angular momentum, an electric charge. Quantum mechanics implies that the whole of space is filled with pairs of virtual particles and antiparticles that are constantly materializing in pairs. 
and then coming together again and annihilating each other. One member of a pair of virtual particles may fall into the hole, leaving the other member without a partner with which to annihilate. The forsaken particle or antiparticle may fall into the black hole after its partner, but it may also escape to infinity, where it appears to be radiation emitted by the black hole. The message of this lecture is that black holes ain't as black as they are painted. They are not the eternal prisons they were once thought. Things can get out of a black hole, both to the outside, and possibly, to another universe. So, if you feel you are in a black hole, don't give up. There's a way out. So that was the nice. late, great Stephen yeah, Hawking. very nice. Not just telling us about black holes, but, you know, even if our own life feels like we can't get out, just keep persevering. And, I mean, that's what he did. I mean, he that's lived right. much longer than anyone had speculated that he would live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for that, we some, should... Some 50 years-ish. Yeah. 50 years-ish. And his way of coping with ALS is remarkable, using art and science mm-hmm. um, to help him get through, which we know from research really does help people. And he used it yeah. to its... M- best advantage I think and he said stick with what you know you're f- when you have a disability stick with what you know and don't regret the rest like do what you're good at and uh-huh. just and he didn't seem to mind it. when he was wrong or losing right <laughs> <laughs> you know I was mentioning how he lost a number of bets that was okay <laughs> that was okay <laughs> he would pay his debt very easily and I mean he's been a fixture of pop culture as well I mean he was on episodes of The Simpsons The Big Bang Theory and to see his work applied to cinema because some of the films that Lisa mentioned or had suggested uh, was one that Dr. Donna wanted to talk about and that's uh, Interstellar by Christopher Nolan oh yeah It's, it's just remarkable to me how they captured so much of what Hawking was about um, about what he thought about time and space and travel in that framework. <clears throat> the Nolan brothers, I figure, must have studied him carefully to be able to illustrate his ideas visually, conceptually, and musically. Of course, he had the collaboration of the musician Hans Zimmer and the cinematographer Hoyte van Hoytema. Uh, but in the film, we see Earth suffering the effects of global warming, like storms and droughts, and visionary scientists realizing that earthlings needed to find another habitat before Earth was finally destroyed. So with that in mind, uh, the former astronaut Matthew McConaughey takes off in a rocket equipped to travel through space-time and go through time warps, promising his grieving daughter that he will return. But he explained he'd return as a young man. Well, she, she'll be an old woman, and that right. did indeed happen in the movie. Yeah. I love that. I loved how they uh, pointed out how the a wormhole would be three-dimensional. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> we're always expecting a, a hole, you know, like, like a black uh-huh. hole, like a flat two-plane kind of thing. But actually, in three dimensions, it's a, it's a sphere. It's funny you bring up wormholes because, you know, prior to Stephen Hawking's passing, I revisited Thor Ragnarok. And, you know, he gets that little, the Bifrost that uh, connects uh, Asgard to all these different realms. And he ends up in a junk planet called Sakaar. And, you know, the the wormholes, it seems like a thing of fantasy. But, hey, you know, if it's possible, 
in movies, hey, I'm I'm not putting it past you know sometime, maybe not in my lifetime, but down the road that we find a way to venture into a wormhole and find a place that is maybe just like ours or maybe even a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> I happen to be reading a book at the moment about <clears throat> excuse me about parallel dimensions and parallel universes, mm. and it's interesting how that can be. It's very interesting. So the, and also, even in A Wrinkle in Time, even though that's so fantastical, you know, the concept of the Tesseract is an actual mm-hmm. dimensional concept, not unlike the wormhole, but bend, not bending space, but moving within it in different ways than we're accustomed to. Well, Hawking did truly believe that this would eventually happen, didn't yes. he? Yes. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, <laughs> I had asked Lisa, you know, does the film Contact by Robert Zemeckis count? Because it was written by Carl Sagan, and she couldn't give me a definite answer. So, uh, just the other day, I picked up a copy of A Brief History of Time, From the Big Bang to Black Holes by Stephen Hawking, his, like, worldwide bestseller that sold over 100 million copies. And I see, it says, Oh, with an introduction by Carl Sagan. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I guess it is okay. Grandpapa. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Also, I think about the content, the overlaps, you know, the concept being movies that are based in something that would be likely to spring from our contemporary time, as opposed to, say, Star Wars, which mm-hmm. is you know, completely different. Already in, you know, all the space travel is already in existence and has been for some time. But these would be movies that are something that we might experience. Mm-hmm. And so Contact definitely struck me as one of those. I think that is very much how things would go down if we got the, if we got Carl Sagan's return message back, yeah. I think. And also Hawking had said um, it would be ill-advised to be trying to contact ex- Aliens, you know, extra, <laughs> extraterrestrials. And so they probably, we probably wouldn't be very pleased with that outcome. And so <laughs> <laughs> I think science is probably along those lines because you know, they're going to be way more advanced than we are. And, you know, it's just probably better that we just stick to our own corner here until we figure out how to leave it and then we go find them. <laughs> and plus, he our, kind of changed his mind on that in those and, later days, though. And our entire space program as a whole, which was, you know, when John F. Kennedy said, we're going to the moon and then we do it. And then it becomes like, you know, it dissolves and now is being reinvented by the likes of Elon Musk mm-hmm. with what he's doing with space travel. So I am very, um, I think the it's very promising on what will happen in the future, especially with all the studies that Stephen Hawking has done and where we go from here. So that is Stephen Hawking. Rest in peace, young sir. When we come back on the Critics Circle, we will be talking the new release Tomb Raider, starring Alicia Vikander. Following that, we have a new coming-of-age story called Love, Simon, starring Nick Robinson. So please stay tuned for more Critics Circle right here on Radio Brave. Your kitchen is the most used room in your house. Leonard Courtright here, and more of your waking hours are spent in the kitchen than in any other room. That's a fact. And now, thanks to Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied Siding and Windows, you can update your kitchen with new flooring, cabinets, countertops, and backsplash, starting at $225 per month for an average-sized kitchen. 
Allied Siding and Windows is celebrating our 30th anniversary by introducing our new Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets renewal service. It shouldn't take months and tens of thousands of dollars to remodel a kitchen that's outdated or simply worn out. Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets installs your new custom kitchen in 21 days, guaranteed. Not months and months, less than one month. We provide a whole new kitchen floor to ceiling, including our exclusive furniture-grade cabinets made right here in Texas. Our design team uses innovative space planning and design ideas to make the most used room in your house the most updated room in your house. Mother's Day is on its way. How about a new kitchen for mom? Get a $500 Amazon gift card with your new kitchen purchase before March 31st. Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied. 713 Windows. That's 713 Windows. Okay, we are back with more Critic Circle right here on Radio Brave. If you want some more of Stephen Hawking besides picking up his book, A Brief History of Time, they also made a documentary based off his work. It was uh, directed by Errol Morris, and it has a great music score by Philip Glass for those interested. And uh, some of the other films we didn't get to uh, that apply some of uh, Hawking's studies uh, include uh, Gravity, October Sky, and Apollo 13. So if you want to add that to your must-see list, there you go. So new releases in theaters. There are two big new releases plus another one that is playing in uh, limited screens, which we will get to later on in the show, as well as a special popcorn therapy segment for this 100th episode. Lisa and Dr. Donna have kindly uh, let me out of the uh, childproof room to... (laughs) Have me be involved with that one. But uh, so big new release of the weekend is Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider, this is based off the popular video game series Tomb Raider uh, with lead heroine Laura Croft. She is a fiercely independent woman and daughter to a titan of industry slash adventurer. She must push herself beyond her limits when she finds herself on the island where her father disappeared. I think I know where they went. Our dads. To the bottom of the sea? They were headed to an uninhabited island. Somewhere off the coast of Japan. It used to be called Yamatai. There's at least 6,000 islands off the coast of Japan. Hardly any of them are populated. Well, I have a map. Now all I need to do is to figure out what these are. I think these are coordinates. The location. They're clock hands. <laughs> they're not clock hands. Definitely not clock hands. They're... They are clock hands. <laughs> That's the one. That's right in the middle of the Devil's Sea. You might as well tie a stone to your foot and jump off the boat now. It'll be an adventure. Death is not an adventure. Death is not an adventure, <laughs> That's indeed. That's a message. Words to live by. Those are words to live by. But, you know, sometimes the greatest adventures do have some peril involved. But, uh, you know, I when I saw this film at the screening, I found it to be entertaining. But as I look back on it, I realize it does have a number of faults. But... The greatest strength to the film is its lead heroine, played by, as Lisa has so (laughs) astutely, so I say this name properly, (laughs) Alicia Vikander. 
I that's mean, how she says it. That's how she says it, so yep. that's how I'm going to say it from Practice. now on. <laughs> that's right. But, uh, you know, this is a, a video game series that debuted in 1996, and it would go on to have a short film franchise starring Angelina Jolie, uh, two films, and then it, those were produced by Paramount Pictures. They decided not to go forward with any more sequels, so Warner Brothers picked up on the... Uh, the intellectual property and decided to make a feature based around the reboot of the video game series what happened in 2013 and I was looking up uh, comparisons between the movie and the video game it's based on and while it does keep uh, you know the island in the uh, the devil's sea and the uh, person or the entity that is so powerful of the island, Himiko, almost everything else is, seems different because in, in the video game, there is this cult that lives on the island that worships Himiko and builds a so- society around uh, the queen, but none of that is in the film. Mm. Instead, we have uh, mm. a great villain, I think, played by Walton Goggins. I second that. Who mm. is... Matthias Vogel, which sounds like a character from a Thomas Harris novel. <laughs> it <laughs> does. This, this is a good example of how difficult it is for video games to be made into movies. This looks like a video game with impossible feats and near-fatal incidents one after the other. And add to that, their, their dialogue seemed real <laughs> clunky to me. And it's hard to identify or feel sympathy for the heroine or for anybody else. Um, I see Vikander as really a gifted actress, but she was, to me, wasted in this movie, where she's not called upon to act, but simply engage in test after test of her strengths. And this is after the movie opening with her not doing very well in boxing, and yet in the movie, she's fighting <laughs> these huge, giant men she's and overcoming. best <laughs> so. Well, she and, was about to die when she was in the ring. Maybe and, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, she survives a rusty nail or piece of uh, right. metal in her abdomen where there's no medical treatment. But she survives. <laughs> that's a video I guess game that's for the video you. Game part. <laughs> I actually really liked it. I. I wouldn't say it's one that I think is one for the ages by any stretch, but for me, it was the first one that I can really remember that I felt would honor, I guess, the legacy of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was just mm-hmm. fun. It just had challenges. Mm-hmm. They It didn't purport to be more than it was, and it executed those things well. And I thought what it was, did you think of the production design? Um, I thought it was fine. I wasn't overwhelmed by it. But so often, other ones, other things that would be Raiders of the Lost Ark wannabes, to me, always feel like they're either angling only for a sequel or they're too full of themselves and they get lost. They just get caught up in the antics and the adventure part without actually thinking about the details. Mm-hmm. And I liked the details in this one. So well, I thought I, the acting was good. I think one of the issues with especially the last act is that it felt too much like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade mm-hmm. where they're going through the stages. And, you know, while that's good and all, it's... Like we say, it's based off a video game. And, I mean, even though you maybe uh, some may not realize it's based off a video game and can enjoy it for what it's worth, that's fine. But when I play 
video games. I don't do it very often, but after a while, I just get tired and it's like yeah. I, I, I want to go to a save point mm-hmm. and you know pick up the controllers later. And didn't you experience that in the movie? <laughs> I, I, I did because I mean it's like she's going through stages and when she makes her escape and goes down the rushing waters I mean that's like one of the greatest sequences in the video game series itself but the, the problem with video games and making the translation to film is you have that emotional attachment to the character when you're playing the game and you're playing as the character. When you watch the film, you're watching the character and they go through scene by scene. You don't identify as... You don't identify as as strongly. Seamlessly, yeah. And that is something that uh, video games have, have taken from movies that movies can't is because, like, video games have learned from what movies do and there's this one series called Uncharted by a company called Naughty Dog, and they incorporate cinematics into the story. So it's like while you're playing it, it's almost like you're watching a a movie at the same time. So uh, a few years ago, Daniel Carlson, he wrote an article. Daniel Carlson's a a fellow Houston film critic member, and he was talking about like the best movies he saw that year, and he included Uncharted 2 Among Thieves, a video game, among the best movies that he saw because (laughs) it is technically the best blockbuster that Hollywood did not release that year. <laughs> oh, interesting. Because when you play it, it's like, you know, if they made Uncharted into a video game, or into a movie, rather, it would cost almost $200 million because each set piece and globetrotting adventure, you're like, there's no way they could make this into a movie. And yet, they are in the process, I've read, of trying to make the Uncharted franchise uh, into a film. I've probably mentioned it several 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 episodes ago here on the critics circle at one time they wanted to do it with uh mark Wahlberg and david o russell as a director and star from uh the fighter and uh, other films but uh most recently instead of taking the protagonist nathan drake who is probably late 20s early 30s they're going to do it as a younger version of Nathan Drake when he's, you know, rising through the ranks of becoming a treasure, treasure seeker. And at last I heard it was going to be played by Tom Holland, AKA Spider-Man. <laughs> so, that I mean, that, that's he was a, great. Um, Lost City of Z. So he's already kind yes, of he cut was. his teeth on adventure stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, that's one way to uh, pay tribute to a series without trying to adapt a singular game into a movie is that you take the character and instead of having him, you know, as he is, as most people know him from the video games, make him younger, sort of like when they did uh, the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. They showed the younger Indiana Jones on his adventures before he would become a professor of archaeology. (laughs) So I have a question for you then. If a video game can be cinematic and the, the gamers who enjoy the game as a general rule, don't care for the movie, why even make movies that are based on video games? Because Hollywood's running out of ideas. (laughs) That's the easiest answer. (laughs) They seem to have lost all their creativity since they keep doing the same movie. So they're not reaching a new audience. They're not reaching a new audience, but uh, that will do it for our discussion on Tomb Raider. When we come back, we will talk about Love, Simon, which is an adaptation of a young adult novel right here on The Critics Circle. Your kitchen is the most used room in your house. 
Leonard Courtright here, and more of your waking hours are spent in the kitchen than in any other room. That's a fact. And now, thanks to Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied Siding and Windows, you can update your kitchen with new flooring, cabinets, countertops, and backsplash, starting at $225 per month for an average-sized kitchen. Allied Siding and Windows is celebrating our 30th anniversary by introducing our new Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets renewal service. It shouldn't take months and tens of thousands of dollars to remodel a kitchen that's outdated or simply worn out. Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets installs your new custom kitchen in 21 days, guaranteed. Not months and months, less than one month. We provide a whole new kitchen floor to ceiling, including our exclusive furniture-grade cabinets made right here in Texas. Our design team uses innovative space planning and design ideas to make the most used room in your house the most updated room in your house. Mother's Day is on its way. How about a new kitchen for mom? Get a $500 Amazon gift card with your new kitchen purchase before March 31st. Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied. 713-WINDOWS. That's 713-WINDOWS. All right, we are back on the 100th episode of the Critic Circle. I'm Travis Lemons, joined with Lisa Ellen and Dr. Donna Copeland. We have talked the life of Stephen Hawking and the new release Tomb Raider. Now let's move on to Love, Simon. Love, Simon is based off a young adult novel titled, what is it titled? Oh, Simon versus the Homo Sapiens which I thought was a very clever title <laughs> for a young adult <laughs> novel. And uh, this is a film from uh, the team of writers from the popular NBC series This Is Us, and it is directed by Greg Berlante, who is basically synonymous with the CW and when it was known as the WB because of all the shows that he has helped uh, shepherd uh, while working with the CW and he also did a few other shows that I'll probably mention uh, along in this segment as we talk about the film. Now when I wrote it on the outline I said how it presents a coming out coming of age story or how red herrings and a bait and switch implode an otherwise touching drama. That was for you (laughs) Lisa after (laughs) a conversation that we had. That's right. So here is the uh, general premise of Love, Simon. Uh, Simon Spear keeps his homosexuality a secret from his family, his friends, and his fellow classmates. When he learns of another closeted gay student, Simon strikes up an email pen pal relationship as the two navigate the waters of how they feel and the difficulty of revealing their true selves. And as I was looking at uh, clips online for the film, I found one that was probably one of my favorite scenes that they had in the film. But uh, when I watched the clip, they include a little bit of dialogue that they did not in the film itself. (laughs) I've been thinking about why I haven't come out yet. Maybe it's because it doesn't seem fair that only gay people have to come out. Why is straight the default? I have something I need to tell you. Mom, there's something I have to tell you. Can, Can we talk? I'm straight. I'm straight. I'm sorry, Mom. It's true. I like girls. <coughs> I like men. You get that from your dad, is that? I'm in love with Nick. Mm. I feel it's like true. I've been raising a stranger. Yes, absolutely. You have. I'm heterosexual. Oh, God. Help me, Jesus. Please. So, that a little bit of dialogue in there, I'm in love with Nick, that wasn't present in the film that's until because uh, the one who says it is uh, his best friend uh, Le- Leah 
and she admits that later on in the film, you don't see it in that little montage <laughs> sequence itself. Okay. And I have seen Love, Simon twice now, and I think it is the most timely movie that we need right now in, in terms of you know coming-of-age stories, especially because I believe this is the first film produced by a major Hollywood studio to feature a gay teenage protagonist. It's also remarkable in its accurate depiction of high school. Very few Hollywood films do that. The hallway encounters, the cafeteria, the school play and parties. It comes across so real, I think, partly because the novel was written by a clinical psychologist who, and I'm not just touting that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, by the way, but she actually had experience of working in a high school, so she got to know these kids very well. So I really applaud the movie for that, for making it so real and not so sensational as we'll talk about some other movies contrasting <laughs> with it. Exactly. Now, Lisa, you... Your biggest issue with the film is the no frame. Spoilers. Well, no spoilers. Well, no spoilers, but how they frame the story of the uh, the pen pal relationship. Yes. So I loved the movie in general. I'm so glad it's out there. So I would give it, this gives it like three and a half to four instead of five stars for me. But one, I thought it was, I mean, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So I have no right. problem with somebody trying to emulate John Hughes. But this felt to me, at least for the first uh. act, it was just a painful copy for me. And I was thinking, wow, as we got through the Ferris Bueller wannabe <laughs> tones going on, I thought this is going to be painful for the next two hours. Fortunately, when it found its own voice, I thought it was just spot on perfect. So, But what I'm talking about is that there are general rules of fiction. One is... You don't wake up at the end and go, it was all a dream, kind of oh, like yeah. Twilight okay, um, or Dallas, if anybody remembers that back in the day. But um, so there, that would be one. Another one is having the protagonist be killed, um, not so much die, like in terms of endearment, someone develops an illness and mm -hmm. passes away, but you don't kill off your protagonist. And that was that has been changing with things like The Walking Dead and things like Game of Thrones. <laughs> They've been turning that on its ear. However, it's just one of the rules, because there are contracts between the creator and the mm -hmm. audience, and you just don't betray those. And there are about seven of them, and one of them is done in this movie, and I'm just not happy about that Aww. at all. So I can't talk about it because that would spoil the movie for people <laughs> seeing it. But um, so that to me, I didn't I didn't like that just from a structural mm -hmm. viewpoint. I love the film. There are just a couple of execution points. Something that I, I loved about it uh, was the fact that it, when he's trying to find out the identity of his pen pal, he does what all of us do when you're trying to figure out whether somebody's gay or not. Right. <laughs> and half the time you're wrong. It's one funny. It's a good observation. I thought that was clever to put that in. I was very impressed with uh, the way he wrote his emails. And, you know, you see how astute that high school students can be. You know, usually when they are texting and stuff, they do everything shorthand. But all of his messages were very thought out. He was using hyphens like he was supposed to. Punctuation? <laughs> to oh, my which, goodness. To why I bring up uh, one of the shows that Greg Berlanti worked on uh, very uh, young into his career was uh, Dawson's Creek. And you know, I remember Dawson's Creek, and you had, you know, all these students, they were using these big words. It's like, do, do students really talk like that? But, you know... 
students are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. I mean, yeah, they do dumb things, mm -hmm. but you know, they're not completely worthless human beings. That's so funny when you say, do they actually speak that way? Well, some of them do. It's funny because the next day after seeing this movie, while well, I was simultaneously like, oh, I love this movie. And kind of also, I was reminded of, and I can't think what it is. It hasn't come back to me. It doesn't matter. But where some filmmaker got very lazy in the way that I'm talking about and referring to here. And so we just didn't think people were paying attention to that. It's like, uh. No, we are. There's a Twitter conversation about it. It's like, no, we do. Yeah, the audience does actually pay attention to the details. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing I liked about it was that they portrayed him not as a sulky teenager like they do so many adolescents. He had a good relationship with his family, and that was nice to see. Refreshing. Oh, yeah, it's a healthy family. For well, a because change. in yeah. most yeah, like coming of age movies, like almost also in like horror movies involving teens, like the parents are like a non factor. And I love the dynamic with Jennifer Garner and yes. uh, Josh uh, Duhamel. And like Duhamel, he was, uh, they talk about his character, he was like the star uh, quarterback, but you know, he didn't peak in high school, as uh, Sean or Simon says. Or neither the, of them uh, did, actually. So neither they of them didn't peak did. in high school. But uh, cool. you know, the relationship with their son, even the, uh, the young daughter, who is an aspiring uh, chef and baker i mean she's always <laughs> making things in the kitchen that uh simon will always compliment her on even though they may Sometimes not always he say never that great. The operative is <laughs> <laughs> one bite <laughs> so uh as far as coming of age films something i had touched or uh, brought up for discussion is you know maybe recent coming of age movies that uh should be worth the uh, audience's time or listener's time because Love, Simon, it stars uh, Nick Robinson and he was, one of his early movies was a film called The Kings of Summer, yeah, mm -hmm. which yeah. is a very great movie that also has, uh, has Nick Offerman in it and I mention Nick Offerman because uh, I revisited a movie uh, recently called me and Earl and the Dying Girl oh, from yes. 2015, mm -hmm. and he plays the father to the main protagonist, Greg, whose mother, played by uh, Connie Britton, asked Greg to, uh, you know, become friends with this girl who has recently been, been diagnosed with cancer. And it seems like an odd movie. It's like, why would you have your son go do this? But uh, when you watch the film, it's a great tribute both to uh, classic films because he and his friend uh, Earl, they, they make f parodies of f classic films and they don't show them to anybody and yet they show them to uh, Rachel and she loves them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another that recent really one that came out was, that didn't get anywhere near enough love was Dope. Like two years ago, oh, three yeah. years ago. Yes. That was oh, fantastic. That was that. about a sharp smart young man living in a gang infested mm -hmm. neighborhood and working his way out of that and that was it was funny and didn't undermine at all the sincere the seriousness of his situation but it was also funny as they dealt with it mm -hmm. i loved that one well going from the sublime as we see these movies we can go to the ridiculous and talk about spring breakers <laughs> <laughs> for years after we saw that three of us saw that movie at south by southwest all we'd have to do is say spring breakers and we'll die of laughter <laughs> it, it's funny you bring 
bring up Spring Breakers because uh, that was one of the first films by A24, which we're going to talk about later on in the program as they celebrate their fifth anniversary as a distribution company. But uh, when we come back on the Critics Circle, Dr. Don and Lisa will let me uh, join in a discussion of popcorn therapy. So definitely stay tuned for more Critics Circle right here on Radio Brave. Your kitchen is the most used room in your house. Leonard Courtright here, and more of your waking hours are spent in the kitchen than in any other room. That's a fact. And now, thanks to Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied Siding and Windows, you can update your kitchen with new flooring, cabinets, countertops, and backsplash starting at $225 per month for an average-sized kitchen. Allied Siding and Windows is celebrating our 30th anniversary by introducing our new Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets renewal service. It shouldn't take months and tens of thousands of dollars to remodel a kitchen that's outdated or simply worn out. Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets installs your new custom kitchen in 21 days, guaranteed. Not months and months, less than one month. We provide a whole new kitchen floor to ceiling, including our exclusive furniture-grade cabinets made right here in Texas. Our design team uses innovative space planning and design ideas to make the most used room in your house the most updated room in your house. Mother's Day is on its way. How about a new kitchen for mom? Get a $500 Amazon gift card with your new kitchen purchase before March 31st. Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied. 713-WINDOWS. That's 713-WINDOWS. Welcome back to the Critic Circle. I'm Lisa Ellen. I'm going to pinch hit on this segment from our host, Travis Lemons. Thanks for joining us here today for our 100th episode. So today we're going to do a popcorn therapy segment. For those of you who have been listening for a while, this is where we use uh, movies for inspiration on living our lives more happy and healthy. And I'm joined again with Dr. Donna Copeland of Texas Art and Film. Hi, Donna. Hi. Hey. And we're looping in our host today, Travis. I feel so honored, Welcome. Lisa. Thank you for letting <laughs> me out of the, live uh, in studio. <laughs> letting me out of my solitary <laughs> confinement to uh, participate in this popcorn therapy segment. So this one is, here we go, live. So we're going to change up the format just a little bit, obviously, today. So um, we won't take quite as deep a dive as we usually do. We're going to more rock skipping across the pond this time. <laughs> <laughs> so our topic today, I love this topic, is restoration. And restoration is the replacement or giving back of something lost or stolen. So it's not about necessarily bringing back the exact thing, but it could also be something like that would give uh, an approximation or an allowance to move forward. So I'm thinking we were talking about This Is Us before. The makers of This Is Us did Love, Simon. Um, and they talk in that one about taking the sourest lemons that life has to offer and turning it into something that resembles lemonade. Mm-hmm. So that's a recurring theme in that series. And the restoration is much like that. So today we are going to talk about three. And our first one is Hunt for the Wilder People. This is this great comedy from a couple of years back about an incorrigible foster child. Speak of this is us again. <laughs> anyway, theme of the day. Um, incorrigible fo- foster child Ricky Baker and how he finds his forever home involving a wilderness crest quest that triggers national news and a full-on manhunt before the whole thing is over through the New, in- New England bush. Yeah. So, Donna, what are your thoughts about restoration uh, in this one? Well, I love this for um, the foster mother, Bella, <clears throat> and how she was so instrumental in the restoration of Ricky. Uh, he, <clears throat> It's restoring, taking him back probably to his infancy, which is the only time when he had had a reasonably good self-image, I think. But she knew exactly what he needed to restore his sense of self-worth. Um, she appealed to him through food. Um, he was kind of chubby. <laughs> right. And she allowed him lots of freedom and decision-making within broad parameters. She accepted almost anything that he said or did. 
even following him without his knowing it when he decided to run away one day. But the loveliest to me, the loveliest thing she did was bake him a birthday cake and sing happy yes. birthday to him. <laughs> happy birthday, birthday Ricky, Ricky Baker. Baker. <laughs> Once rejected, now accepted. <laughs> Look that. You could almost see the pieces of himself reassembling <laughs> as right. she was singing. How about you, Travis? Well, I won't take it from the perspective of Bella or Ricky Baker, but from uh, uh, Sam Neill from as Hector. Heck, yeah. Heck, because you, when uh, in the film, when Bella passes and he doesn't know what to do with Ricky, it's like, yeah, you're going to go back to child services. So Ricky decides to fake a suicide by burning a barn <laughs> and goes out into the wilderness. And then but eventually he used the same techniques on Heck that Bella did with him. Exactly. <laughs> and same. I think you see the, the growth of uh, Heck, you know, you know this mm-hmm. relationship he has with Ricky is like it's just not working out to finally succumbing to the fact that, yeah, they both really need each other. Right. And really like each other. And really yes. like each other. Right. <laughs> and I think for me, as the, um, it was fun to watch Heck dish back what Ricky was dishing out yes. at the beginning. So uh-huh. Bella was soothing and healing those wounds. I love the phrase that she had about, I'm so sorry it took us so long to find you. Um. Even though he was a foster child, you know, so that wasn't literally the way it was working, but the feeling of it is what helped mm. him. And after being rejected every step of the way yes. that he had been, right. this was he couldn't even recognize it, it at first. Yeah. And so he also got a mirror of himself in heck. And so they yes. were able to both move th- move through that and as they're you know, they were wanted fugitives that just spun way <laughs> out of control, and it was hilarious. Um, which actually, um, <coughs> excuse me, another one with restoration is actually um, on on my list um, is Mad Max Fury Road, <laughs> and it's interesting because there is actually some there's a bit of a tribute scene because <laughs> this one came out shortly after that one, and so then in the filmmaking <clears throat> there are a couple of um, overlaps to that in the oh. at the chase, which is kind of fun. Well, speaking of. Mad Max Fury Road, you had a film selected that also stars Tom Hardy. That's right. Doesn't uh, everything need to start Tom uh, Hardy, though? Because I'm going to get to that before the day be is over. Yet again. But yeah, the next one on our list is Warrior. This is De- Gavin O'Connor's uh, fabulous story about a deeply estranged family who essentially receives an opportunity either to repair it or to just kill it once and for all and just put it to bed um, when they all accidentally find, you know, through other circumstances find themselves involved in the same high stakes winner take all mixed martial arts tournament mm-hmm. intense um, absolutely marvelous um, this movie also brings out how difficult it is to restore family relationships that's more daunting than losses in other areas uh, and Brendan and Tommy the two brothers in particular their lo- the losses were compounded by major losses in their childhood like the loss uh, of their with their father's drinking uh, mm-hmm. which deprived them of many things and then even continuing in adulthood with the loss of the mother but I saw Tommy as being in more trouble because of his inability to forgive and let go of his vengeful feelings whereas Brendan was able to forgive and and go on with his life. His trouble is that life was against him in so many ways, and he wasn't able to fulfill his responsibilities toward his family uh, in ways that he wanted to. His daughter was seriously ill, and he kept losing his job because he had to fight to make money. 
So right. how this one hit you, Travis? The dynamic between uh, Brendan and Tommy, and basically they had were forced to choose sides. Tommy went with yes. uh, his mother, who would turn become terminally ill, while Brendan was with his drunken father and chose to be with Tess, the woman he would end up marrying. And you see the relationship. And Tommy resented that. And Tommy yes, resented the that. The girl. She was the girl. She was the mm-hmm. girl. She, he, he would call her the girlfriend. It's like, no, she's not my girlfriend. She's my wife. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, the scenes between the scene between them on the on the beach is very affecting just to see how they uh, are reacting to one another i also love the scene where tommy is talking to his father played by nick nolte at the on the casino floor that's brutal. and it's like you know i think i liked you better when you were drunk yeah. and that's just mm. and i just feel the knife just go mm-hmm. right into his heart and then like the very next scene you know in the morning you see nick nolte and he has gone back to drinking and he's listening to that uh the audio tape i was it moby, moby dick, dick that mm-hmm. he was listening to and that f- and when you get to the final match between them and then something happens in the third round that brendan doesn't want to fight anymore because he mm-hmm. sees what he's done and yet it's like if he does not win you know he, he and his family are out of a home right and he tries to make the best of a bad situation that's right i love the 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 moments when nick nolte goes off the wagon again and then tommy accepts his dad and there's that moment of acceptance when Mm -hmm. somebody hits the just really really the bottom and the acceptance that then tommy has there for him and they can move forward they have a similar scene in the ring where tommy is broken (laughs) emotionally physically literally and up by brendan (laughs) (laughs) and in the love that he receives from brendan and he taps and he surrenders Mm -hmm. to that that moment of being able to accept and move on just that the clarity of that moment and to let go of what it is and the last thing that struck me about warrior was how you can you know my advice is always to work family of origin issues out in the therapist's office. <laughs> Somebody like Donna, but hey, if the, the, if the MMA cage is doing it for you, then that's a good thing, too. <laughs> I thought it was really ironic that they had to solve their problems through fighting. That's right. <laughs> that's very effective. <laughs> to get over fighting. Right. <laughs> so quickly, kind of our last third one we're going to um, definitely still want to touch on is sunshine cleaning. And this is a, the comedy um, of a woman who is discouraged and aimless and has kind of lost her way in life and finds an unusual occupation quite by happenstance and, and runs with that with mm-hmm. her equally discouraged and disappointed sister and starring Amy Adams and Emily Blunt and Emma. This is Aaron also Arkin. about two siblings. It is. That's right. Yeah. So all, only children here talking about the sibling stories. So. <laughs> so, so what do you think, Donna? Well, it's, to me, it was an odd movie in that they're cleaning up repulsive physical messes, <laughs> and it becomes a way for the two sisters to clean up their lives. That's a good point. <laughs> their <laughs> messy lives after bad breaks, like their mother's suicide and their father's failing business ideas. So I ended up thinking that it was their sense of humor that really got them through uh, those really hard times and eventually be able to work together yes. to achieve what they wanted in the right. long run. And I like how it was, uh, for me it was that um, needing to just notice 
just be open to the next step. Neither one had any solutions, but Amy Adams mm-hmm. in particular, she didn't have any solutions. She just stayed open. So you don't have to be positive or open. Sorry, Travis. That's there was all a right. um, just to stay open to the next right thing and still do that. Do you have a quickie thing you want to tell us? What's your impression? Just that trying for, to raise a son alone is very hard. To what? Adam Markin says, yeah, try raising two. Try raising two. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Perspective, Perspective, baby. That's baby. A, another topic. We'll do that on another episode. Well, thanks, for everyone, for joining us for Popcorn Therapy. It was fun to have you with Enjoy us today, Travis. Up. Thank you. All right. We'll see you in the next segment of The Critic Circle. All right, we have made it through another episode of the Critic Circle. Our 100th. Our 100th uh, episode. Hip, hip, hip job, people. Hip, hip, hooray. Happy birthday, Ricky Baker. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> woo Okay, so we have one other new release to talk about, and I don't really know much about the story, just the fact that it's based off true events of an event that happened in 1976, and uh, I believe uh, Dr. Donna was going to educate both Lisa and I on the story. Uh, yeah, it's about um, taking hostages in order to make is- Palestinian revolutionaries taking hostages uh, to try to get Israel to negotiate with them. And I thought the movie did a very good job of illustrating the dilemmas that arise from policies related to whether or not to negotiate with terrorists. It's interesting to me and very topical. I don't think it's a very easy answer. I can see both sides of the story. And certainly the points of view of of a government and the family of the hostages, those are very, very different from one another. Uh, But another thing I, I liked about this was giving you a look at terrorists themselves. And we don't usually think of them as showing any ambivalence, but both of these terrorists at different times were ambivalent about what they were doing. And in fact, they had one person drop out altogether. And then it would switch back and forth. One was reluctant, and then the other one reluctant. And so I thought that was a very realistic way to portray terrorists. So this is the uh, film Seven Days in in Tebe. And I see that it was uh, directed by Jose Padilla, who is a very talented filmmaker. He uh, did the documentary Bus 174, and he followed that up with two films, Elite Squad and a sequel. But then Hollywood came calling, and he did RoboCop. And why you would make a remake of RoboCop, (laughs) I have no idea. It's sort of like the same fate that happened with uh, the director of this week's Tomb Raider. Uh, he He had this film come out a few years ago called The Wave, and it was a great, uh, you know, disaster and peril. The Norwegian film. one? Hmm? The Norwegian one? The Norwegian okay. film. Yeah. That was very well done. And he has that great name, Roar. Yeah. I mean, oh, if right. you're a director, <laughs> you need to have a name like Roar. But, you know, he, he got saddled with uh, 
Tomb Raider, and I really don't think his heart was all the way into it. Almost like he was hired on a director for hire basis. Mm-hmm. And with the uh, Seven Days in, in Tebe, while it's getting mixed reviews, Dr. Donna says it's worth her time. It has uh, Rosamund Pike and Daniel Brühl. She's Great excellent cast. as always. Oh, yeah. and Eddie Marzen, who is oh, very underrated. He's very good. Yeah. <laughs> it also shows the ambivalences on the part of the Israeli government, like Rabin was initially wanting to negotiate and his defense minister marsan was ready to go military right away and so it it gives you a picture of that too all of this i found very educational well i mean they say it's like one of the most daring rescue missions ever attempted and it you know just reading that line in the uh, description just reminded me of a, a film a few years ago uh what the uh, the Coast Guard did, uh, it was like the most uh, biggest rescue mission ever by the Coast Guard. Uh, I think it was called The Incredible Hours, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. That had a great cast that was like totally wasted. That's too bad when that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's another one on a similar subject about enhanced interrogation that came out, I think around 2013-ish, with Samuel L. Jackson and Martin Sheen called Unthinkable. Oh, yes. And that if you're into the ethical dilemmas of things, like, mm-hmm. this, like Donna's just talking about, that's a great one to watch because the way that one is structured, all of the issues that we kind of feel ambivalent about are stripped away. So all you're left with is the question about is enhanced interrogation right or wrong? Uh-huh. And so you have to come out of it with your own opinion on it. So mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting the way they, they just box every other thing. Well, what about if this happens? Well, you're, you're like, oh, all the people. Yeah. No, no, That's no. That's what I think Padilla did really well. Sounds that he, way from your description. You could see both mm-hmm. sides of, and that's especially remarkable for Israeli and Palestinian mm-hmm. <laughs> points of view. Um, but I understand the Israel government did not like this movie at oh, all. Well. Uh, I thought it was very even-handed, but they didn't think so. so. But they were also, I think, smarting from his previous film about Lebanon, and that was about Israel going in and invading Lebanon. Right. And so um, that may be the source of some of people's criticisms. Well, you know, Israel may not be keen on this film, but something that this panel is keen on is uh, A24. Oh, films, yes. which celebrated its fifth anniversary this week. I can't week. believe that. That catalog in only five years. It's amazing. That catalog in only five years. Definitively amazing, not slang amazing. And I thought a comparison sh- should be done because I looked at the first five years of A24 versus the first five years of Fox Searchlight, Ooh. and like A24 is like top and bottom, far and above of what from Fox Searchlight because in terms of quality in terms of quality because I was looking at some of the Fox Searchlight releases their first film was uh, The Brothers McMullen by Edward Burns and then they followed that up a year later and they had stuff like The Full Monty which is good (laughs) I love that that's a classic though which was actually nominated for Best Picture that's right when it was very hard to be nominated for Best Picture when you had five nominees not up to Mm -hmm. ten and it's a comedy (laughs) and it's a comedy Mm -hmm. They also had The Ice Storm by mm-hmm. Ang Lee, starring uh, Kevin Klein, And uh, rounding out uh, 1999 was uh, Boys Don't Cry with Hilary Swank. Mm-hmm. So those were like the big highlights that I found that they had their first five years. Whereas The Spectacular or A24, it's like a laundry list that 
I said that we should have like maybe our top three. I but couldn't it, do it. It's too hard to do. I had ten. I shaved it down. <laughs> you shaved it down. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I'm ready. Top th- top five or maybe three. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the, my favorite top of my list has to be Locke. Hey, that made my list too. Yeah. Who does that star? I don't know. It's a guy named Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. He's pretty good. <laughs> I wish we talked about Tom Hardy more on the show. <laughs> Maybe we can work that into future episodes. <laughs> uh, Dr. Donham, what do you have on your uh, top oh, list? Oh, I'm sorry. I missed that. I you missed it. <laughs> That's okay. Well, we will help you. Yeah. And, we, and you, you both got 10, so yeah. you should be able to fill it up. Well, see, so you've already mentioned one of them. Well, not one of them, but like the movie that basically springboarded A24 and that was Spring Breakers <laughs> because while that wasn't the studio's first film that honor goes to A Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Swan III which I have not seen but I have seen Spring Breakers and I can tell you everything you need to know about Alien played by James Franco <laughs> and the fact that he would come up again in A24 with yeah. the disaster, disaster artist. artist. Talk about a bad model <laughs> <laughs> for adolescents. <laughs> a couple of my favorite. Mine was uh, Ex Machina. Was, oh, speaking of Alicia. Yeah. Um, and then Remember and the Florida Project and Moonlight. Oh, yes. Oh, and then I liked really Equals to not because it was so great in and of itself, but because it's the closest thing ever to the one movie that I hope and pray before I die gets made which is this perfect day I was pretty close to that so that was fun it wasn't <laughs> that's just a personal thing for me but remember I thought Christopher Plummer was underrated you know I have Love not seen one. remember there now are- going back to my earlier conversation about contracts between the audience there's a difference between what happened in Love Simon and one hell of a good twist and that's the difference between the two movies well, Love, Simon being a coming-of-age film, I had to pick one coming-of-age film released by A24, and uh, that is The Spectacular Now. Oh, yes. Starring mm-hmm. Miles Teller and mm-hmm. Shailene Woodley, and it features Kyle Chandler as uh, Miles Teller's father, who is a drunk, mm-hmm. not unlike Nick Nolte in Warrior. Yeah. So see how it all comes full circle? It does. <laughs> it's all very Matrix, And uh, The Spectacular Now, it's done by a filmmaker who uh, has done, he also did another film with uh, Nicolas Cage, or not Nicolas Cage, Nick Nolte, one of his first films, and the name escapes me at the moment, but he did a film called Smashed with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, dealing with alcoholism. And Aaron Paul. And Aaron Paul. And Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman, see? See, it all comes around. (laughs) (laughs) And since uh, 2017 was the year of Michael Stuhlbarg, there's one called Mm. Cut Bank from A24. This well worth taking a look for his performance. Didn't they also have one of the Hemsworths in mm-hmm. it? It was Liam. Liam. That's who. The movie was good. His performance was excellent. And it's nice to see his range. That's mm-hmm. what's important there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had already mentioned Moonlight, which I had on my list. And uh, I, I tried to avoid movies from 2017 because they're like too close or too recent. But uh, I wanted to bring up uh, A Most Violent Year with uh, Jessica oh, yeah. Chastain. I need to give that a second look. I didn't Oscar like that Isaac. as well as everybody else did, so maybe I just wasn't in the well, right I, frame of Well, I think it's a very, you know, if you think of like Wall Street and you look at this film, they're like polar opposites, but they also do all the same thing, yes. you know, trying to get ahead, mm-hmm. you know, 
by hook or by or crook. By crook. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciated it more than I liked it, so I'll give it another go. But uh, and I also have to mention Room, starring Brie Larson, oh, yes. which is probably one of the most affecting films I've seen in the past uh, few years. It made me cry not once but twice while watching the film. Wow. But uh, that will do it for our love fest of A24 and the 100th <laughs> episode of Critics Circle and hopefully many more to come. Here, this, here. This would not be possible if it were not for Leonard Courtright of Allied Siding and Windows, for Lisa Ellen, Dr. Donna. I'm Travis Lemon saying good, make good choices when it comes to movies. Goodbye. We can help you with that. This is Radio Brave. Keep listening. It gets even better. Now let's do it up. Radio Brave.